Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me again for another Real Talk uh, interview. Uh, thanks for joining me on Mindful Health as well. You know, you can always reach out to us at www.mindfulhealthicc.com. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok. I'm excited today because I'm going to be talking to Darren Schmidt, who's a lawyer in, a family, in the family court system, and he's going to be talking to us about a little bit about what he does and the dynamics of families and divorce and co-parenting and I'm uh, really excited to delve into these topics from a perspective of mind of mindfulness and for mental health as well too. So welcome me and joining Darren. Hi Darren, how are you? I'm fantastic Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. So I wonder if you can just tell us a little bit about how you came into the field of law, how you started, a little bit of your backstory, how you came to be where you are today. Sure. I won't bore your audience too much, but uh, <laughs> I did a management degree uh, from the University of Lethbridge and started working in human resources. And I encountered lawyers as part of my work uh, in that field. And I thought, oh, that looks kind of interesting. So um, tortured myself, went to law school uh, and have been doing this now for about uh, almost seven years. And the last, I've always kind of maintained a portion of my practice and family, but the last two years have been dedicated solely to doing uh, family law. And uh, that that was uh, joined in part by my wife and I moved from Alberta out to the Okanagan. So that's where uh, I'm practicing it at this time. Oh, lovely. That's a lovely area. That's That's got to be great for mental health. Hey. <laughs> To be in that yes, area. it can be, but it can also be a little torturous because you're looking outside in the warm summer and you're sitting in an office and you're thinking, I'd rather be uh, on a lake or doing, you know, something like a hiking or something. But uh, no, it's it's been, you know, it's fantastic. So uh, yeah, enjoying it and have enjoyed, uh, for the most part, exclusively practicing in, in family and divorce. It's, be, it, it's easier in a sense to just focus on one area. Uh, many people, sure. many lawyers don't want to uh, just focus on on family law. I think there's a real... Uh, stigma maybe around uh, practicing in that area because I think uh, there's this view that it can be really tough, particularly on your mental health. Uh, as a professional, handling uh, a lot of people that are going through probably the most difficult time of their life as they're separating from their spouse, mm -hmm. dealing with issues like kids and all that. But um, uh, I, I can't say I enjoy seeing that, but I enjoy focusing on that area. Yeah, you seem to be really focused on just solution based results and um, focusing on the real issues. I know I've seen a lot of your videos on TikTok. If you don't follow um, Darren on TikTok, we'll, we'll mention the TikTok handle at the end of the show, but you've got some really informative interviews and uh, or, or videos, sorry, and um, they're, they're short and sweet and it gets a lot of information in, you know, 30 seconds for people to tap into. And how has that played into, into your business, into the feedback of, of, of um, you know, people reaching out to you when they're in a tough time. Phenomenally, I never. So um, I'm not a dinosaur, but I'm not um, <laughs> like a teenager. So the no, like TikTok to me um, was a bit bizarre at the outset. Um, sure. But the format lends itself really well to short snippets of information or short snippets of entertainment. And if you can sort of mend the two. Mm -hmm. Find that format works really well. So um, there's lots of people that are not just teenagers on TikTok. There are many people across a broad range of age groups. And so I'm getting a lot of feedback from uh, people that are probably 25 to you know 65 
that are experiencing family law issues of some sort. And so the comments on the videos I post, like I'll, I'll post a video on something rather benign on child support or something. And then you'll get, you know, a whole host of comments from people really engaging comments, really engaging direct messages. Uh, people have phoned me um, and I'm pleased to at minimum kind of point people in the right direction. Um, obviously by, you know, direct messaging me or any other lawyer professional on a TikTok doesn't mean, you know, you're automatically my client. That's not how it works, but sure, right. um, it's been nice to engage with people on a platform I never thought I would be on. And uh, it's been way more fun than I ever thought it could be. And there's, there's a lot of interesting uh, stuff going on from lawyers in the US, uh, but I wasn't mm -hmm. finding a lot of Canadian content from, from other lawyers, particularly family lawyers on TikTok. So for whatever reason, I've filled the void and you know, here I am, some middle-aged nerdy guy uh, hanging out on TikTok and making some videos. So we're having fun. Hardly nerdy, but I love the content. <laughs> um, do, you, do you get many, very many um, non-contested divorces? People come to you just, you know, they kind of laid it, laid it all out. They know what they want. It's agreeable. And um, do you get very many of those? No. Uh, so uh, I, and well, here's my thinking on that point is I yeah. think, I think about 80% of folks that are going through a separation of any sort actually mm -hmm. don't need any uh, legal advice whatsoever. Um, they typically do need a little bit. They'll need a separation agreement drafted and some provinces require uh, that that be done with independent legal advice. Right. Um, but in British Columbia, for example, people are free to make their own separation agreement and uh, file and go through the Supreme Court of British Columbia without ever speaking to a lawyer. And mm -hmm. many, many people can maturely uh, and confidently handle that on their own. And then I think there's about 20% of people that have some sticky issue of some sort. It may not be all issues, but it may be at least one issue and they, they, they need some legal advice. And then I think about the remaining 10% or what I actually spend most of my time on, which are the really difficult files where people can agree on parenting arrangements. They can agree on how they're going to divide their property. Um, and there's, you know, there's trauma going on. There's all sorts of stuff going on. That's what I end up spending most of my time on. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably for the best because people that don't need a lawyer shouldn't be speaking to a lawyer and people that think they need to speak to a lawyer. Um, I'm happy to spend my time assisting them rather than shepherding people that don't need my help at all. Sure. So. Yeah. And it can be quite a costly process too. So it seems like you're very focused on, you know, not wasting um, clients time or resources, especially in a family sort of setting. Um, yeah, of course. I, I think not to jump in, but I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there's a real apprehension of a clients wanting potential clients even wanting to speak to a lawyer because they're they're maybe so uncertain about is this going to cost a, a bazillion dollars right um and that's something the legal industry could do a lot better at uh, sort mm -hmm. of reaching out and saying you know lots of lawyers offer free consults uh, there's right. duty counsel there's there's all sorts of ways you can have contact with a lawyer that's not going to cost you either anything or very much money to simply understand where you where you sit at the point of separation from a legal perspective um, but I do see a lot of people that are quite apprehensive even at first meeting and then I'm sort of like yeah they they probably do need legal assistance I certainly never push that on them um, but there still is that apprehension so yes I'm I'm keenly aware that you know lawyers you know do have a reputation of being expensive and that 
creates a bit of a barrier uh, first instance with people. So we could sure. do better at, at, at working on that. Yeah. And what's sort of the, the dynamics of the people that you work with? I know I was, I, I was in the legal field for 10 years and I mainly worked with marginalized communities and, um, and, and, access to resources was a real problem for a lot. And I'm wondering if right. you ever, do you expand on that? Do you work with just a, a particular clientele or do you ever do like any pro bono work for anybody? I previously have done quite a bit of legal aid work. Mm -hmm. um, so, and occasionally we'll do pro bono work. And sometimes you do involuntary pro bono work because sure, the client yeah. runs out of money to, to pay you. Um, right. But, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, so the dynamics of people that I'm working with right now are typically people that, uh, number one, need a lawyer and that can at least pay a little bit of money for legal services. Mm -hmm. um, the legal aid threshold in many provinces is, is extremely low. Really so, is, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, it's $25,000 annual earnings in some province. Like that's not even minimum wage if you're working full time. So, that's right. um, so I've done a significant amount of pro bono work, both by choice. And as I jokingly said, not by choice, but, yeah. um, you know, there's always pressure from, uh, bar associations, the courts and society at large to have access to resources, le legal resources, mm -hmm. dial a lawyer, you know, days, uh, law days there's, yes, there's yes. all sorts of stuff that's out there, but, um, mm -hmm. at the moment I'm mostly, uh, assisting people that are you know, typically paying for my services at the moment. What was the push for you to go just solely into family law? What was the, the deciding factor for you there? It's exhausting bouncing from practice area to practice area. And I came from a human resources background. So uh, I think I was always sort of inclined towards the human dynamic. Um, okay. I don't think I'd be fascinated by doing uh, share shareholder transactions. Not that that's <laughs> right. not interesting to, to some extent, but it's certainly um, like my mind doesn't gravitate towards being fascinated by that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there's always going to be a need for uh, legal services for people going through separations and divorce. So it's, I mean, selfishly, it's, it's sort of, um, you're sort of Career protected from a business longevity. perspective, but um, I do enjoy helping people. Um, and I say that cautiously because I think many people feel like uh, on occasion, I'm not helping them for my own client, but uh, you are helping people, right? And and that's really the draws is you're making a connection, a human connection with someone and, and, and that, that could be satisfying. Absolutely. So while you may get some clients that are just dealing with divorce, just the two of them spousal, you also get clients who um, have families and children. And I wonder if you could touch a little bit on what are some of the major issues surrounding children and co-parenting that you tend to see on a regular basis in your practice? And what are the, what are the, the majority of the challenges there? Yeah, so um, I always say there's, there's four areas to any separation or divorce. There's uh, dividing your property, there's possibly spousal support, uh, there's, child support and then there's the parenting arrangement so the latter two are really if you have minor children and you're going through a separation or divorce you have to address those like you can't avoid them mm -hmm. um so the challenges i see often are um 
parent A who becomes, you know, the client. Excuse me, sorry. Parent, okay. parent B says, um, or parent A says parent B is bad. And sure. parent B is saying likewise. Right. And so um, the law does really well at figuring out what happened in the past. So it mm -hmm. does really well at figuring out like a motor vehicle accident. Mm -hmm. I'm straying a bit, but I'll, you, you'll, you'll see the point here. So motor vehicle accident, we can we know, okay, on date at this time, car A hit car B. And we can we can suss that out to some extent. But with parenting issues, they're not static, they're dynamic, and they evolve right. throughout time till the child is no longer a child of the marriage or relationship, or they've, you know, they become an adult. So mm -hmm. the challenge is not necessarily what happened in the past, but sort of telling people. Um, and I'm, I'm not a counselor, so uh, my job is to figure out from a legal perspective what's in the best interest of the child from my client's perspective and advising them, here's where I think you may stand on a parenting application or here's where you may stand uh, respecting negotiating a parenting arrangement with the other party and their lawyer if they have a lawyer. Um, but there's a real push now, and I think an, an appropriate push towards co-parenting specialists and, and counselors, people who are not lawyers, focused on the nitty gritty of the actual important part of like getting along as a parent. Because right. yeah. again, lawyers are focused on, well, what happened in the past? I can draw up an affidavit for a client uh, and for your audience that may not know what that is. It's just a written document that is sworn or affirmed by a person as though it's a statement of truth of right. facts. Well, that's all stuff that happened in the past. Well, if you have a minor child, you, you have five, 10, 15 years left with that person. The affidavit's not going to solve the future. So um, that's where I think having a team around you, and that's sort of a, a recent, a, a more recent part of my work is people are now seeing, you know, co-parenting specialists and counselors mm -hmm. that are specializing in parenting issues, which I think is great. And I, I, that's mm -hmm. where someone like yourself helps, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's learning the techniques to sort of, and you touched on a, uh, on it a bit in a, in a video that I recently watched. It's just really about not verbally bashing each other in front of the kids and learning how to be civil and, you know, for the sake of the children and, you know, I think in the past, there's always been a sort of a stigma of when there's a divorce, mom and dad hate each other and, you know, talk badly about each other and the kids are in the middle and they suffer. And like you said, there's much more of a push now to go to towards co-parenting, which is fabulous because it doesn't mean that, you know, mom and dad have to be friends or mom and dad have to be this or that or defined by any sort of one context, but but it's the ability to, to get along in front of the children and and speak highly of each other when the children are, are with that parent and, and be civil for the sake of the, the children. So I, I think that's, um, you know, learning mindfulness techniques and learning ways to communicate. Cause I think communication is a big, um, a big barrier for a lot of couples who are going through this and, and seemingly so it's a very emotional, um, thing to go through for sure. So that's just some of the things that we work on. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your interaction with, if any, with uh, the kids and sort of the feedback that you get with the children, if any, and um, and where they sort of stand on sort of a mental health perspective. I know that, um, you know, we are now just sort of coming to a point where we're starting to really listen to kids 
And I, I feel like in the past, it's been sort of a situation where kids are seen and not heard. Um, they're just, you know, a factor in the situation. But we're really learning how to, to focus on kids now and youth and really listen to them. And so I wonder what your experience is with that. So yeah, I, I have some direct experience on it. What I'd say at the start is children um, are, are, are always, they must, their, their views must be contemplated by a court when a court is deciding what's in their best interest respecting you know, parenting time between two parents or who's making a decision. That's what our various uh, pieces of legislation in Canada say about that. And I'm sure it's the same in the States. It's, you know, mm -hmm. how can we ascertain a child's views as part of a legal process? Mm -hmm. um, so I've been children's counsel previously in Alberta on a couple of occasions, which was uh, quite a fantastic experience. It was, I, I did it on legal aid. Um, the, the one case, uh, the more impactful case that I worked on, I was a counsel for a brother and sister uh, the sister was, I think, 11 and the brother was nine. And um, the crux of the issue between the parents was these, these kids were both very active in sports. Like they lived to play sports. They weren't uh, in, uh, encouraged to do so negatively by their parents. They just loved sports. They were very active and, and performed rather uh, well at their sports. So uh, in this case, dad was reluctant because he had some limited parenting time to deliver the children to their sporting events during his parenting time, saying, mm -hmm. in essence, it's not really quality time for me with the kids when they're going to sports because we're not doing anything. I'm sitting on the sidelines. And so my job as counsel was uh, to simply relay their the children's perspective to the court at the trial. So the children didn't come to court. Like, we don't do that. I, I right. think that, you know, there's some... Oops. There's some, there we go. Audio. My apologies. That's there, okay. There's some, um, yeah, there's some misinformation about that. Maybe it's from TV or, or mm -hmm. things like that, where you, you see children in a courtroom. We don't do that. The best we can do is either get a lawyer for the kids, and that can be done through legal aid in your province, uh, or um, the, the parents can, uh, by court order, retain a lawyer for their children, and the lawyer can be the voice of the child in the court. The other way to do it is uh, to, to get an expert to give a views or voice of child report. And there's various uh, ways that are that can be done. It can be done by a psychologist mm -hmm. for an astronomical price tag. It yep. can be done <laughs> by counselors uh, appointed through the province that you're in. I know in BC, we have family justice counselors. They do it for no cost. It does take time. The, the problem I think I have, I'm just speaking personally is uh, on that, is that it's a, it's a static um, it's a static report in time uh, for the kids. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's not. It's just a one once one time report, right? And so that report might be done in the first year a file is open, and that might take another three years to actually get to trial. And so by the time, God forbid, the thing gets to trial, we're looking at a report that the parents might have paid twenty thousand dollars to to get, and. And the judge is now looking at the report and going, this is this is the voice of the child. Uh, Canada has signed a, a UN convention that says a children's views basically must be considered by courts. So uh, it's been my experience, if a child's really below the age of seven, you know, seven or below, they're, they're quite young and mm -hmm. they're probably not mature enough to, to give a really good opinion to any 
either lawyer or voice of child expert. Um, but what, so what I can say from a legal perspective on voice of children is number one, it's really important. Your kids should have a voice if you're going through a separation. Yeah. We, we don't bring them to court uh, and uh, we don't, you shouldn't talk to your kids about what their views are and then put that into an affidavit or, or, or tell the other side, That's right. you know, Jimmy or Sally, your child told, they told me this is what they want. Right. And the other, because the other parent's going to say the exact opposite right. typically. Yeah. So then we're stuck with how do we do this? Well, the best we can do is, is have the child meet with a professional of some sort, either a lawyer that is that child's advocate at court mm -hmm. or an expert report that is given to the parties and, and the court as part of that process. And what do you do in cases where co-parenting isn't able to be facilitated? It's not an option. How, how do you handle that? And what are the dynamics around that in terms of mental health for not only the kids, but the parents? There are many cases where co-parenting can't be facilitated um, because of the level of conflict between the parents, um, which is unfortunate. The parents, mm -hmm. the parents make that reality for themselves. To, to some extent, both parents make that reality. It's, it's never a 100, the, the other parent is 100% at fault. Right. So I think the best you can do in those cases is number one, if, if I'm counsel, I have a fiduciary duty to my client. So may, maybe, they're, maybe they're the one that's actually the at fault parent. Well, what, what do I do? I tell them judges are a lot smarter than they, you think they are. And they're going to be able to see that you're not being a very good parent. So we, you know, we can go to court and you, you will pay me money and you'll lose. So, um, mm. or, or you can reform your behavior mm. and start co-parenting effectively because you find that out because we all communicate in writing now. It's not like it was 20 years ago. Yes. I, I, the number of text messages and emails that I see that are, um, offensive to, to put it mildly, um, yeah. it, it stacks, stacks of these things I go through every year of mm -hmm. people fighting with each other by text about silly things. So, I mean, the best I can do is if I have a client that is not co-parenting very well, or they're not capable of it, all I can do is tell them the risk to you is you're going to have your parenting time stripped back because mm -hmm. you're not you're not behaving in the children's best interest. That's I think right. fighting with the other parents going to, you know, is, is that going to help anything? Like you separated from them. That's. Yeah. Oops. Frozen there. Sorry guys. A little delay. It's frozen here. Yeah. So you, you've separated from the person that's done. Um, you're stuck with them. If you have minor children for the next, however many years you're stuck with them. Right. And you can view it as though you're stuck with them and make it miserable, or you can sort of face the reality of while well, we've separated, we've either one of us has made that decision. You don't jointly need to decide you've separated. Only one person needs to make that decision. We have no fault separation and divorce laws in Canada. So mm -hmm. it, Make the best of it. You don't yeah. need to send text messages in all caps with a litany of expletives. It's not helpful. Maybe you felt like that's a good idea at the time. Just don't do that because it's not, it's actually really not helpful. 
Yeah, I, I always recommend, you know, in times of frustration and anger is to sit down and, and write a letter, write out everything that you want or wish you could say to that person in your frustration, write it out, get it out, write it down on paper, and then throw that paper out, right. burn it, throw it out, whatever. But at least it gives you that that chance to, to have that, you know, emotional release and to say all those things that you wish you could say, but that are probably really not appropriate to say, um, at least to, you know, the mother or the father of your child. And this brings me back to a video that I recently saw on your TikTok and I thought was really, really well done, um, where you speak about not insulting or bashing the other parent on social media or through, as you say, communications through text or things like that. And bottom line, at the end of the video, <laughs> you just said, you know, just don't do it. <laughs> just not a smart idea. Um, and, and I think it, those it, things also can be sort of kind of used against you too, you know, um, it, when it, in, in, you know, in a legal setting and it may just be, you know, you had a really bad day or it may not be, you know, something that's a, a consistent, natural behavior for you. But the process of divorce and separation is so emotional that sometimes these things can happen. So it's a really good reminder for people to sort of control your emotions and not, you know, attack or bash or insult the other party, um, particularly over social media. Yeah, and it's so um, prevalent now. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the caution there is not that it's, it's free speech. It's, it's freedom of expression. You have the right, you, you have the right to do it. Um, mm -hmm. and no court will tell you, you, you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, kids, I don't know when kids start really using social media, I think various different ages, but they will find it because the internet is prevalent and, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. My, my parents stayed, stayed together. I didn't separate, but I, I've, I've always kind of tried to put myself in the shoes of a child. Like, could you imagine, you know, you're, you're now 10 years old and you're scrolling through whatever platform you're on and, and you see your, one of your parents saying bizarre, uh, damaging things about the other parent um, that maybe your, even your friends have access to like that just adds mm. so many to me astronomical stressors for that child mm -hmm. it's just it's beyond it's beyond comprehension in some ways to think a 10 year old is going to look at Facebook and see parent a has said something horrible about parent b online because they had the moment they didn't write that letter that they should have written and then burnt it they used social media to do it I don't know that uh that that's quite terrible I I, I couldn't imagine being a young child and having to experience that, that would, that would be horrible. Traumatic. Yeah. Very damaging. And I, I always say too, I mean, it's the process of separation and divorce is, is terrible and it's emotional and it's trying and, um, and all of those things come into play, but the time before that, the time before you reach the point of separating or divorce, it's almost even worse sometimes during that process too, because, you know, you're, you're in the same quarters, you're living together, or you're, you know, you're interacting more frequently on a daily basis. And, um, you know, it just gives more opportunity for people to be unkind to each other. And I think when you fight in front of your kids, you change who they are. 
Um, I mean, it's it's good for children to see sort of some emotion from their parents to to know that they're they're human and they're real and mommy and daddy have emotions. But when when there's there's hate and there's anger behind that, um, it just changes who they are um, as little people. Um, so I, I think it's 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 excellent that you're putting that message out there to you know just be mindful of the things that you say and the things that you do because somebody who loves you who's smaller than you is always watching you indeed i i well i my uh, my dad got facebook older in life and i must say even as an adult it was bizarre seeing my own father on facebook <laughs> let alone as a child but uh anyway we, li we live in an interesting time hopefully he hasn't put any embarrassing pictures of you up on his facebook <laughs> no no but, uh, yeah are... <laughs> right <laughs> Um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about some of the major challenges you're seeing right now in terms of how people are handling divorce and separation from a mental health perspective in terms of emotions and in a general broad sense, if you can, now that we're in the midst of this pandemic, how has that changed? Like, are you seeing an influx also with, you know, divorce and separation or how's that all coming into play with the pandemic? Yeah, it's, um, th there was speculation at the outset um, that divorce and separation was going to uh, skyrocket because of the pandemic. Uh, I, I mean, we, the firm I'm at, we saw an in, in, a rise in intakes. Um, I think, like everyone, the pandemic has not been enjoyable. Uh, and then mm -hmm. to add a, a divorce or a, a common law separation on top of that, certainly drastically compounds the stress that people are going through. So yeah, I think I've encountered people um, probably a little more stressed out than I would normally see. Um, I think some of the stress from the lawyer's perspective is that you know court operations have shifted because mm -hmm. of the pandemic. So we're not able to sort of offer the same certainty, at least in terms of process as to what people can expect. Cause that's one of the, you know, right. I always tell people I can't, I, you know, I don't, I don't guarantee any outcome because it depends on another person or multiple other people like your ex spouse and their lawyer and a judge. Mm -hmm. But, you know, courts were almost shut down, um, save for yeah. emergency matters for a few months. And now uh, many proceedings are occurring by telephone or through video conferencing technology. Um, so that, that adds, I think, some degree of stress, but it also, um, it has made it better in some ways because you're not actually there's nothing quite like the tension in a courtroom when there's a lawyer sitting at one table with spouse a a lawyer with the at the other table with spouse b and you're just sitting in this dead room and, and you're waiting for five minutes for the judge to come in like it is <laughs> it is like the most painful five minutes even as a lawyer that I, you can you it's the most painful five minutes ever you're just yeah. sitting there and you're like holy cow <laughs> These people went on a date once and they <laughs> fell in love and now we're, now we're all sitting here. Um, so the, like the, the, the virtual technology, you know, in, I guess in that sense is sort of made that a little more palatable. Like we're all, we're not all crammed into our room, Sure. but overall people are, you know, people are stressed. There's no doubt about it. And um, I don't, I don't see the courts reopening anytime soon, give, mm -hmm. given what's going on currently with our 
status with the pandemic across Canada. Yeah. I think we're probably in a pattern here for the next two years of mm. doing virtual virtual court and and some of it may permanently shift that way it, it, it has forced a rather archaic court system to adjust to things like actually filing things by email instead of uh, right. physically filing them which which was not permitted in many provinces prior to the pandemic so there's been some nice changes but overall it, it's just stressful for everyone because the lawyers can't guarantee when you get court dates and what the court data look like and are we actually there are we not so it's all been um it's all been a learning pattern yeah i guess it's a little bit 50 50 too because i mean submitting things through email you know it's automatic right so it saves a little bit time of time and money in terms of having to go down to the court and file things and that but again like you said you can't guarantee times of you know <clears throat> court dates and stuff like that of course um, I wonder if you could touch a little bit on the differences and what people should know in separation and divorce when it comes to uh, common law relationships and those who are legally married. Sure. So the first, this is going to sound very simple, but the first thing is if you are not married, you do not get divorced. So um, I, I do get, I have gotten that question quite often on TikTok is, do I need to get divorced if I'm not married? Well, no, you, you don't. So um, if you're married, the end result of your separation is getting a divorce judgment. And so the divorce judgment is sort of, but it's the cherry on top under our divorce act. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is a court will need you to resolve the four issues I, I briefly mentioned earlier, which is your children in terms of a parenting arrangement, child support, possible spousal support and dividing matrimonial or family property and debts. Mm -hmm. Once those four issues are resolved, then you'll be able to get a divorce judgment and you'll resolve them one of two ways, which is either by agreement with your ex through a, a separation agreement or a consent order or, or some, some way that you both have agreed mutually on how that is going to be resolved. Or a judge will tell you how those four items will be resolved uh, at, a, at a trial. A third option sometimes is an arbitration whereby the parties mm -hmm. have hired a third party arbitrator to make the final decision for them. And he or she will act as a de facto judge, but it's almost like a private court hearing. Right. So, um, so in order to get divorced, you have to shore up those four items. Uh, and in Canada, you have to live separate and apart from your spouse for one year prior to obtaining a divorce judgment. You don't have to wait a year to file for the relief of parenting and uh, child support and spousal support and those those four items you can mm -hmm. file immediately upon separation you do have to be separated you have to declare a separation and a separation date no matter what province you're filing in right um and then you'll, you'll have to wait a year to get a divorce judgment even if you've agreed on everything say day two of your separation miraculously you've, you've separated and the first day you said we're separated day two we agree on everything you're going to have to wait your year to get a divorce judgment that's just because that's how it's set out in the divorce act mm -hmm. so but if you're not married um you don't need a divorce judgment obviously you you, you can't get one because you're not right. married right so you're free to uh, make uh well i guess the starting point is figuring out do you have any legal status even though you're not married and that changes from province to province so in alberta you have to be what's called an adult interdependent partner, AIP or APE, we called them APEs. You have to be an APE in order to have common law status. Um, 
And if you have lived in an adult interdependent partnership for three years, you meet that threshold. And then um, either of you has the right to make a claim or raise in court through a claim uh, issues of spousal support and property division. No matter if you're married or not married and you have mm -hmm. minor children, you must shore up child support and parenting arrangements, no matter, no matter if you're married or not. So, and then there's certain limitations periods. If you're, if you're not married, but you separate, but you're common law. So say you're an ape in Alberta, mm -hmm. you only have a certain amount of time after you separate to raise a claim or file a claim in, in court of Queens bench there. If, if you wait past the limitations period, your SOL, the statute of limitations, mm -hmm. you're out of time. So yeah. um, I guess what I would say is if people are confused about that, I mean, they can they, they can search for themselves. Google is a great search, search engine. That's fine. It, it's, you'll probably find something and it'll lead you in the right direction or you should- Not you a know, good doctor. Actually... <laughs> good, Google is not a good doctor. <laughs> I Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, so, but if you actually want a firm answer on am, am I common law or not mm -hmm. in your province, you know, meeting with a lawyer to have an opinion on that point is probably your best avenue. But so that's, yeah, there, there's, there, there are some drastic differences between being common law and, and actually being married. Absolutely. Um, I wonder if you could touch a little bit on how the pandemic has affected uh, your business and the stress and anxieties among coworkers and even yourself and how you you handle that that stress. Yeah, it's a great question. I think I could do better, uh, like everyone. I think um, I think it's just been extraordinarily stressful for any business. I mean the the law is fortunate in that, you know, we're open and, you know, the restaurants are not to, to a large extent. Like mm -hmm. I, I know in BC, they're open for takeout. Like there are many businesses that are, they've been by health order shut down essentially. Mm -hmm. So we're fortunate. Like we can, we can operate. You know, I work from home some days. I, I, I don't work really well from home. So I find myself going into the office more often than not. Um, and I don't even have kids. Uh, I just can't really motivate myself at home. So, mm -hmm. but, uh, so for the law, I think it, it's been status quo, I should say for, for many areas of law, like the, the courts did shut down briefly, what we're, we're back up and running. Um, but, uh, for colleagues and coworkers, I mean, I, I think that's a, an individual experience. Um, I'm like, I'm beginning to not be okay with how we're continuing to just not be okay. Like there needs to be an end to this. And I'm not, Yes. Uh, I, I mean, the people that can go on my TikTok, I'm not an anti-mask or anti-vaxxer. I'm not, none of that, but I'm like everyone, I am tiring of going into stores with a mask on. Yes. Um, and that's a very minor inconvenience, but it's just, you know, sometimes I'll go halfway through the parking lot and forget and go, oh shoot, I got to get my mask. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's not a big deal, but it's just, I'd like, I'd like to get back and live life a little bit. Absolutely. Um, and so, I mean, we're doing the best we can. We're all doing the best we can. Um, there, there are some healthier ways to deal with stress and not, and you're, I mean, you're, that's your, that's your wheelhouse, right? The, the non-healthy ways are, you know, having one extra beer at night, right? The better way is to, you know, go hiking or go running or right. <laughs> write, write your thoughts down or there's, there's a multitude of ways to, to deal with things better. So, um, 
but yeah, it's been, it's been challenging for me like everyone else. What are some ways that you practice self-care or mindfulness uh, in your own life to navigate through those, those challenges and those frustrations? Mindfulness is a really interesting word because, um, you know, I think, well, in order to be mindful, you sort of have to be aware of what is actually happening around you. And I find myself sometimes not like I'm so wrapped up in whatever, like a sequence of emails with an opposing lawyer or scheduling something or getting ready for something like I'm not present. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think as I get more mature, it's, it's thinking, you know, am I present? It's as simple as like, you know, I was thinking about, um, apparently if your tongue's on, you know, the top roof of your mouth and, you know, it's just, you're sitting there and you're sort of grimacing, like, why am I grimacing? Like what, <laughs> what's happening here? Like what, yeah. how did I get, how did I get physically sort of bundled up like this? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I, some years ago I did more running than I do now. I, I, you know, I've done a number of marathons and like, I, I find Great. the physical activity to be good for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I could probably do better. I could, you know, but there's a limit to that too, right? If you, if you have hobbies and, and they consume you, right. That can also be stressful. Like, especially if you're, you're training for me, training for a marathon, some ways that's stressful, right? It's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get up and run and do a three hour run on a Sunday. Sometimes I'd, I'd rather just putz around the house, but, uh, my, from, from a mindfulness standpoint, I think it's under taking a moment and understanding, okay, uh, what is actually happening right now? Is anything actually bad? Has anything bad actually happened or have I manufactured these um, stories in my head that yes. don't, not, none of this will come to fruition. That horrible <laughs> outcome will not, never come to fruition. And the worst part about being a lawyer in some ways is we're actually, you know, we're, we're paid and trained and we actually work for people to forecast what's the worst possible outcome right. they could experience and mitigate that with them. So your mind is always turning to how, what catastrophe could occur. And then all you're doing is focusing, well, how do we get away from the catastrophe? I'm realizing that's not a really great way to think. Yeah. I don't know about you. I, I find it's not I a good totally way. I to totally agree with you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think that contributes a lot to anxiety and stress if you're always thinking about the future and thinking, you know, it's good to plan for worst case scenario, but if you're always in that mindset and you're always thinking about the future, and as you say, not in the present, that's that imbalance creates a lot more stress. And as you said, you start to develop these thoughts and these scenarios in your mind that don't really exist or aren't really a possibility or aren't really a possible outcome. Um, and that just sort of exacerbates, you know, the anxiety and stress and, and sometimes depression, you know, it gets really overwhelming sometimes. Especially at midnight, right? You're sitting in bed. That's the best, that's the best and worst time that those thoughts come to mind is you're laying there and going, Oh, look at all the horrible things that could happen. And then, you know, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, exactly. I digress. <laughs> you gotta, gotta stay positive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, what are some factors that people should consider when choosing a lawyer for themselves when they're going through separation and divorce? That's a really good question. So I think the way most people choose a lawyer is by Googling uh, and they will, they will not go to page two of the search results. And then they will phone a few of the top results on Google 
um, and they'll book an appointment with the lawyer. And if the lawyer doesn't seem completely nuts to that person, and it seems like it might work, they'll, they'll probably retain the lawyer to act mm -hmm. for them. Um, mm -hmm which there's nothing wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with what I've just described in terms of picking a lawyer uh, um, and going about that process, because that's very natural. It's where we live in is we live on our phones. So if you don't have a lawyer referral or someone that you trust otherwise to, to point you in the right direction, you're, you're stuck to either the uh, phone book, which we don't have anymore or Google. So, um, I don't put a lot of stock in years of experience as a lawyer. Uh, and I actually think I, I tend to be on guard when I get a younger lawyer because of the, they're at the top of their game. They've come right out of law school. Mm -hmm. They know the law and they're super eager. Yeah. Um, that's not to say experienced counsel aren't, aren't good. Right. But um, I think for anyone thinking about hiring a lawyer, don't stray away from possibly newer calls because you think they're inexperienced because we all went to law school yeah. and we all know what a courtroom looks like. Um, and that lawyer may, like I say, they, they're probably on the top of their game. Um, yeah. But you're, I mean, I don't want to say fit is the, is the overall key for the client. <clears throat> what you don't want as a lawyer is you don't want a cheerleader, right? You want a lawyer that's going to tell you what you need to hear. And the lawyer's not your counselor. Because uh, I'm twice as expensive and half as qualified as any counselor you're ever going to find to talk about your emotions. I, it's fine. I like, I need to know to some extent your emotional uh, problems in order to help you. Mm -hmm. But my job is to shepherd you through a legal process. So um, if you're looking, and, and I've had lots of client relationships end because I'm not telling the client what they want to hear. Right. And that's actually not my job. My job is to tell them what they need to hear. Um, so if you're possibly looking for a lawyer, what you're going to want to find is someone that, number one, you, you have some rapport with. I mean, you got you to be able to like work with them because that's probably a year at minimum. That's a year relationship for, for many people. Sometimes it's a three-year relationship. Mm -hmm. Can you work together? Um, you want to think about what, sort of cost arrangements that lawyer has. If it, if it is going to be a three-year arrangement, um, many people don't have after-tax dollars to pay for a lawyer for three years, sure. continually topping up a retainer. So will the lawyer be flexible in terms of a payment arrangement? Those are fair considerations. Mm -hmm. um, really, it comes down to fit in your, in your comfort, but you don't want to be too comfortable because you don't want your friend as your lawyer. Right? Right. You, want, you want counsel, someone who's giving you counsel your job as the client is to give the lawyer instructions and the lawyer's job is to give you advice. That's, that's, that's the way that relationship works. That's right. If the client won't take my advice or can't give me adequate instructions or gives me instructions that I can't take because they're unethical or bizarre or they're opposite to what I think really is in that client's best interest, it's time we say goodbye. Um, because maybe the client would work better with someone else. And I certainly would have less stress not having that client's file in my filing cabinet. Um, and that's okay. That happens. Yeah. Lots of times lawyer-client relationships end. It's not because anyone did anything wrong. It's just sometimes a different perspective helps the client. And, and that's okay too. 
Absolutely. I love that you um, touched on telling people what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. And I think that's what I kind of try to focus on with the podcast, a real talk is I always say like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Um, you know, so if you're expecting to hear what you want to hear, this might not be the podcast for you, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what you, what you, what you need to hear, what you want to hear, but I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, um, to so, sort of help you navigate through the challenges that you're having. So, and, you know, quite often some people will even be upset with me <laughs> and, um, you know, call me various expletives <laughs> and then, and then come back and realize, and they'll say, okay, well, I did what you suggested and it actually worked. So maybe I'm not so mad at you. <laughs> so, of and, course, yeah. but you know, but, and that's, and that's totally fine because that's, you know, it means nothing to me if they're upset with me, it's just, you know, you're kind of expendable here in this process, right? Your, your focus is just on getting the client or the patient from point A to point B with as little trauma and damage as possible. So that's what I try and do is, yeah. um, it, cause most people don't actually want a fight. Uh, that's not actually why they're coming. They want, most people want simple, quick, easy answers to their rather complex problems because we're accustomed as a society to, like I say, Google or instant search results. And that's my, uh, I mean, that's my primary issue with where the profession's at at the moment in some ways is we, we can't actually, and we never will be able to compete with Google in terms of instant results because mm. uh, my, my eyes have to move left to right down a bunch of paperwork in order to give you advice. Like I'm not, I'm not a computer code. I can't decipher your financial statements through an algorithm. Like I have to look through them physically with my eyes and peer and peer through all the pleadings and work with you to draft an affidavit, which is a it, it it's unfortunately a lengthy, um, it's a lengthy process because it's a human being that's working on your matter uh, as your counsel and people have become less um, patient as time moves along and uh, there's nothing really I can do about it um, because I'm not, I'm personally, I'm not interested in burning out. Um, I, I mean, I'm not interested in working 20 hours a day to, sure. to work through my, my file load. Yeah. Um, and you shouldn't because have it's, to. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, no one should, right? Hand. Yeah. No, yeah. no one should. Yeah. And just the disclosure process is quite lengthy to go through and, uh, yeah. <laughs> can be, yeah. All of it can lengthy because, <laughs> you know, I mean, and many clients need, and many, many do understand they're not the lawyer's only client. Yes, um, and so the lawyer has a number of other files. Sometimes they're just, they can't respond mm -hmm. immediately to clients, uh, concerns. And most often the client's concerns are actually not, they're truly not urgent. Like unless a child's being harmed and even then the lawyer has a limited, mm -hmm. they, they can't do anything like the police or the or, or child and family services, That's ministry true. of children's services are the appropriate avenue. So, um, yeah, no, back to the, the mindfulness and stress piece. That's one of my biggest stressors is I think there's an abundance of client expectations that this will mm -hmm. be solved immediately for no money, <laughs> no matter how much you tell people that that's actually not possible. Um, <laughs> many, many people still have that perception and it's, and it's all natural because that's the world we now live in. We, we live in an instant world. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Social media is, is taking us uh, to that 
fear of not being without our phones on a daily basis. I mean, I, I, I can't do it. I don't know if, if you can, but I can't be without my phone and everything's instant access. So. Of course. Yeah. No, I'm with my phone all the time, but uh, probably the happiest I've, I've been is I've on these vacations where I just don't take the phone. Right. And yeah. you're like, Holy cow. I'm, I'm reconnected again. But, uh, yeah. Actually fast. reconnected to the world. <laughs> yeah. um, if, could you give us three pieces of advice um, for anyone going through this process, what would be your three pieces of advice to uh, a client or a potential client or just anyone, you know, who may be watching this going through, you know, a separation divorce, what would be your three pieces of advice? Uh, firstly, I'd say realize that you're not alone. Uh, mm -hmm. There are thousands and unfortunately thousands of people that go through what you're going through uh, at this right now, and there's thousands of people that move through a divorce or a separation. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't the 1950s. There, there, there isn't the stigma associated with it that there once was. So, from a, I'm maybe I'm embarrassed or I didn't expect this perspective. I mean, I wouldn't say don't feel that way because you should feel however you feel. But there's no shame in the fact that your relationship ended. Like it's. It, it ended and that's okay. So mm -hmm. sort of square up, feel that, move through that, however you need to feel, feel it and move through it. But um, the, the first piece of advice is just realize you are not alone. Like many, many people go through it and it, it, it actually, it will be okay. Like yeah. there, there actually is an end to the process and, and there is a better tomorrow on the other side of it, however long that process may take. The second is um, don't drastically or immediately do anything unless you need to do something. Live that that's separate and apart for a year before you get a divorce judgment in Canada's Divorce Act. Again, it doesn't mean you, you have to wait a year to file, um, but if you don't need to kick up dust, don't kick up dust. Mm -hmm. um, be Live separate and apart. If you can get out of the residence or your ex can get out of the residence and you're not sharing a space together, that's actually step really step one yeah. for any divorce or separation is actual separation from that person. Yep. <laughs> so do that. You know, I do get consults from time to time where the person has not yet separated from their spouse. And I'm like, go, go you know, please kindly go away um, and come see me once you've separated and, you know, get, another type of professional assistance to move through the actual I'm separated portion of the process because a lawyer right. is not qualified to help you with that. So I guess point two would be live, live separate and apart before doing anything legally, trying to rush to get a separation agreement done because you just want to get it done. Because in two years, that separation agreement that you've done um, immediately after you've separated is probably not going to be suitable. So just take a breath and live separate and apart. Yeah. And I'd say number three is, you know, if, if you are, you know, if, if you think you need a lawyer to help you, don't be afraid to approach one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, you know, I'm on TikTok. I'm having a good time on that. You, you can reach out to me. There's many others. They don't have to be on TikTok. They can be in the yellow pages, you know, but speak to one, even if the, even if you walk away from that appointment and you go, I don't think I even need a lawyer. 
but that's the best hundred bucks, 200 bucks I ever spent. Mm -hmm. However much the lawyer charges for a consult, even if they're charging for a consult, mm -hmm. do it. Like the, the, the worst that's going to happen is you, you realize I may not need a lawyer to do the process, but um, you will not likely, if you do that, run into problems some years later because you didn't contemplate something. Right. So if you're going to do it, I guess the essence of point three is if you're going to do it, you know, do it right. Like Mike Holmes, make it right. Yeah. Do absolutely. it right. If you're going to move through the process and uh, I don't want to say cheaping, but, but scurrying around maybe professional avenues that, and that includes not just lawyers that, that can include a team of consultants around you, counseling, um, therapy, your own doctor in terms of maybe prescribing medication. I'm not advocating for that by any stretch, but like talk to the people you need to talk to, to square up and deal with that process the right way at the start Absolutely. and to move through the process. That's fantastic advice. That's so helpful. Um, I'd like to do a little rapid fire questioning um, as we come to the end of this interview. So sure. I'm just going to um, say some words and then you just tell me what immediately comes to your mind. And Law. All right, here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> Law. Um, job. Family. First. Communication. Essential. Passion. Find it. Mindfulness. Keep working on it. Divorce. Starting over. Separation. A new beginning. Children. Love. Career. One part of your life. Community. Most of your life. And Darren, what do you know for sure? I know that I'm here on this call with you, Jenny, and that um, it's been really fun and that I don't know what the future holds. I, I know that for certain. I don't, I don't know what the future holds. I don't think 15 years ago we thought Dogecoin was going to exist and, and cost a bazillion dollars. So um, none of us know what the future holds. I don't care what anyone says. So that's the one thing I know for sure. Well, that was an excellent example of mindfulness, Daryl. <laughs> you, you, you did that right away. <laughs> I want to make sure people know where they can reach you. So all your social media handles, where can they find you? Sure. So I'm on TikTok and my handle is at family law, all one word, underscore Darren Schmidt, uh, D-A-R-R-E-N-S-C-H-M-I-D-T. And the other platform I'm I use regularly is LinkedIn. So you can search me on LinkedIn, just Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N-S-C-H-M-I-D-T. And um, those are the two best ways to find me on social media. Excellent. And people can um, send you a message or DM and reach out and um, they can connect yeah. with you if they need your services as well, right? Of course. Yeah, I have gotten a lot of those and I'm doing my best to work through them. But yeah, send me a direct message on either of those and, and we can connect. 
That's awesome. Well, Darren, I know your time is valuable and I really appreciate you um, joining us today for this interview and we'll post this on YouTube and also on Spotify and iTunes. And uh, we recently just got picked up by iHeartRadio, so it'll be on there as well. So thanks so much for joining me and um, and uh, we'll get this out there. And it's been really helpful and it's been really great to uh, to finally meet you. And I know all your advice is going to really help a lot of people. So thank you. Thanks, Jenny. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to me prattle on. This was fun. Thanks. Take care. Okay. Bye.